COVID-19 has impacted the people Mental Health Association Oklahoma serves every day. People impacted by mental illness, homelessness, substance use, and justice involvement. And we continue to serve the most vulnerable in our communities, but that's coming with many unexpected expenses. We have established a COVID-19 relief fund to assist us in the emergency services we are providing. Help us serve our participants in need of rental assistance, mental health care, food and shelter, and other basic necessities. Go to Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Facebook page to contribute or visit our website at mhaok.org and hit the donate button at the top of the page. I could be off, but I want to say at least the next four to six months, at the least, our coverage is going to completely be writing about COVID-19. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason, and on today's episode, we have my super friend, Cassie McClung. Cassie, welcome to the Mental Health Download. I would introduce you, but it would be super fanboy and full of lots of superlatives. So, Cassie, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself because you will be more reserved. (laughs) Sure. Um, Well, I am a reporter at The Frontier. We're a nonprofit um, investigative newsroom covering Oklahoma. And over the past few weeks, maybe longer than that, we have solely been covering COVID-19 in Oklahoma. I'm really sorry that this is happening, Cassie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry for the people whose lives have been affected, who people who have died. I'm oh, affected no, for for everybody. But you know, I do have a big heart. I'm a former journalist, and so I put a thing out on Instagram. I think uh, last week, and I was just sitting on my couch thinking. Oh my God. One, I'm glad it's not me that's having to cover this. Um, <laughs> and two, right. I just feel for you and, you know, all the, all of the reporters out there who, and this was a point that I made is that I really appreciate all the journalists who are not, who are trying to, to get the information out there in a factual manner, in a timely manner, but are not fear mongering. Right. Cause it's easy right. to do. And it is. And so, um, yeah. You know, I think you're one of the most responsible reporters there is. And so oh, um, I, I guess my first question is, let's start at the beginning. At what point did sure. you become aware that COVID-19 was going to be more than just something that happened somewhere else on the planet, that it was coming here and was probably going to affect your life? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I think it was late, I want to say late February or early March, um, that there weren't any cases in Oklahoma yet. But you know, we started seeing by we I mean, the US started seeing cases in New York City. Um, I think there might have been a couple in Washington. But I did my first COVID story on March 3rd. And it was before there were any cases yet in Oklahoma, like I said. But it was just clear from seeing in other countries like Italy and in China, that if it made its way to the US, it was going to spread and it was going to affect our lives in some, in some way. And it turns out, you know, it's affecting our lives in a major way. But, um, you know, as I started seeing those cases pop in New York City, I started really paying attention because I knew it was something that Oklahoma healthcare workers and healthcare systems were going to start looking at probably before the general public did. And so, you know, one of the one of the big tips that, as the Mental Health Association, we're we're telling people is 
disconnect from the news. Try not to obsess about it. You know, check in, make sure that everything's okay, but do not, you know, stay tapped into this fire hose of information. Mm -hmm. You don't have that option. This is your job. And so, explain to me what that's like, you know, to not be able to turn it off. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people you know, other reporters probably feel this way, but it's kind of like you're consuming it 24 seven. You know, you wake up thinking about the virus and you go to sleep thinking about the virus. But there's also, you know, those people who are really living it. You know, we have our first responders, you know, people who are actually sick with the virus. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, even though all of this can kind of be overwhelming and stressful, I kind of like to go back to thinking about the people who really are fighting on the front lines of this and um, not some cheesy, but I am like thankful for any kind of opportunity, you know, we have to inform people. And even if we can help ease people's minds a little bit or keep them informed, then, you know, I'm okay with being a little stressed out. Are you a little stressed out, Cassie? Or are you a lot of stress? Oh, I'm a lot. <laughs> yes, no, it's like there's so much, there's so much uncertainty around this. And, you know, people people are afraid and you don't want to fuel that. You don't want to make people, you know, you don't want to add unnecessary fear, but you also don't want to downplay the issue. And, you know, most importantly, you just want to make sure you're getting the right information to everyone. How many stories have you filed um, since, I don't know, let's, let's start with like three weeks ago. What was the story? What was the first story that you told about COVID? Oh, that's, um, let me think. So I think the first story I told was um, I wrote a story about how hospitals and hospital systems in the state were preparing for coronavirus um, before there were any cases. And I'm not completely sure how many stories I filed since then. I know it's a lot, but uh, my editor actually texted me this morning and he told me just between uh, the three of us, we've written. 50 stories over the last three weeks about COVID-19. So I can't say exactly how many of those were mine, but you know, I know I've written a lot about it from mostly the healthcare perspective. Mostly from the healthcare perspective. And why, why, how did that end up that you were covering mostly the healthcare perspective? Yeah. So I've always been, you know, interested in health and kind of covering vulnerable populations. And, you know, I've, I, in the past, I covered a lot of mental health. You know, there really isn't that many healthcare reporters in the state. So I guess early on, I just kind of saw that need and I, I wanted to try to fill it. And, you know, since then, obviously, there's so many reporters in the state who have taken on that role, too. We've all, we've all turned into healthcare reporters. And uh, COVID-19, it's, you know, it's, it might be the biggest story of our lifetime. So, you know, I'm just trying to cover it from all of those angles. And also, I think it's a huge accountability story. And just, you know, seeing how the state's responding and seeing if, you know, they're taking the right recommended steps. So that first story you were talking about preparing for COVID, what were, you know, what did you think at that point? Were you like, oh, yeah, we'll be fine. Or were you like, oh, gosh, these healthcare professionals seem really nervous. This is going to be bad. Like, what was your feeling then? I'm trying to think what kind of my mind was then because I, I knew it was a big deal. And I never thought of it, you know, as coronavirus being like, it's us over here. And you know, like, the people over there, 
who have it and it's not going to come, you know, affect us. But at the time, you know, I talked to OU Medicine and they're a huge healthcare system based out of Oklahoma City mostly. And they had started kind of a task force really, really early on, maybe late February, looking at um, a possible outbreak in Oklahoma. But I don't think, you know, at this point, there were only 60 cases in the whole country. So I don't really think I understood the magnitude of the problem. I mean, I knew, I knew people were preparing for the possibility of it coming to Oklahoma, but I don't think I knew enough at the time to realize, you know, how many people might get infected by this, how much it really could overload our hospital system. So I think, you know, obviously a lot of information has come out since then. A lot of circumstances have, come, you know, changed since then. So I guess at the time, I knew it was serious, but it was just, it was hard to foresee, you know, how it has evolved up until now, yeah. I guess. So I think with each of these stories, I'm going to ask you what it was like then and what what is it like now? So, you know, what is your perspective on the hospitals um, and how they're dealing with with this, I mean, and, and, and knowing that the worst hasn't come yet, you know, it, they're saying what mid April, um, or late April, the worst could be here. Um, but right now, you know, what's your feeling of the healthcare community? Sure. So yeah, like you said, the models, um, I guess they're looking at a couple models, the state is and still working on modeling, but some of the models say late April, some say sometime in August. So it's kind of, you know, as we get closer, and we get more data, I think it'll be easier for officials to kind of calculate where that might be. But as far as the healthcare community goes, they really started ramping up efforts and especially around making sure that there's enough uh, personal protective equipment. And I'm sure, you know, we've all been hearing a lot about shortages around that, um, around face masks and gowns. So, you know, I think hospitals are really ramping up efforts on that front. Um, they're conserving, um, it's called PPE is what they call it in the medical community. But so they're conserving a lot of PPE, um, hospitals, I can tell you, at least OU Medical Center is, um, they've uh, put up tents, kind of in preparation for an influx of patients. So they have like a specific tent for a triage, a specific tent just that's going to serve as a lounge. And then the state is also considering, you know, using temporary field hospitals. So it's it's like, as I think we kind of are able to see clearer where uh, this patient surge peak is going to be, um, we're going to see hospitals ramping up more and more. But, you know, and I think another issue is just keeping an eye on ICU bed capacity and there's just a lot of different angles, um, you know, that healthcare providers are looking at, I guess. But I know I've heard from, you know, nurses and other healthcare providers who have been really worried about not having the PPE they need on the job. And some of them don't even have it now. So I think there's a lot of stress and a little bit of dread, honestly. Michael Overall in the Tulsa World, he um, had this story. It's called Mental Health Crisis Projected to Hit Oklahoma Nation After COVID-19. And he says as many as 18,400 Oklahomans could attempt suicide over the next 12 months. Oh, wow. And you think, I mean, That's a I know, um, you know, because I know the numbers. I know that, you know, 
two Oklahomans die by suicide every day. I know that across the country in any given year, there's about 45,000 Americans who die by suicide. Um, I know across the globe in any given year, there's about 800,000 suicides each year. I rattle these stats off and people are like, yeah, it's bad. But for some reason, this one took me back and I'm used to seeing these these kind of really startling numbers. But you think close to 20,000 Oklahomans could be to the point where they want to die by suicide. Hopefully their friends and family are there to spot the warning signs and connect them to treatment. I mean, goodness. Um, What is your feeling on the suicide rate? And, you know, have you heard any? Has anybody been talking about this? Yeah. I mean, obviously those are horrible numbers. Um, honestly, I haven't gotten the chance to get into that as much as I'd like to, but you know, I guess, you know, kind of with the mental health association, what have you all been hearing? Have you, have, you know, have needs for your services went up? Um, kind of what are your workers seeing over there? Yeah, I mean, we do have a, um, it's our mental health assistance line. People can call us Monday through Friday, 830 to 5. It's uh, 918-585-1213 and 405-943-3700. And you can also email us at info at org. And you can also send us a Facebook message. I think for the most part, and we've talked about this a million times, Cassie, but um, where everybody is... Traditionally, we're focused on the body and we're focused on body health. And I've been really happy with the media that there have been so many stories about let's let's really consider people's mental health during during this time, because I don't know. I, I, you know, I was in college when 9-11 happened. Um, I that just knocked me down and I don't remember too much of what what the media did. I honestly turned it off because it was so, so, so uh, debilitatingly sad. But it just seems like with this crisis that people are being very mindful that, yes, we need to worry about washing our hands and taking care of our bodies. But we also, when we're all alone and isolated and um, social distance, that we need to be really mindful of our mental health. Um, so, thank you to all the reporters out there that have that have been telling those stories. It's really, really important. And social media has been, you know, for the most part, I would say that social media is usually not good for your mental health. <laughs> you know, it's like we always tell people maybe you should like step back from social media, you know, don't let it don't let it because it's, you know, it's bad especially during the holidays where people may be feeling sad and they see all they see are happy smiley faces of people who probably aren't as smiley and happy as they seem to be in those pictures, but it's just social media can sometimes be this really uh, distorted view of life and can make you feel bad about yourself. But I think people have been really good about using social media and these Zoom calls that we're on, um, you know, to, I think compassion is, is, is a really, is really strong right now. And I think it could have gone the complete other way. I mean, every apocalyptic movie I ever saw, everybody's got their shotgun and, you know, they're, you know, staring people down and say, don't come near me so or I'm going to shoot you. And at least in this apocalypse, people seem to be very happy and very compassionate and very willing to think about others, like people experiencing homelessness, people who have been illness, um, in ways that are honestly very encouraging to me. Right. And, you know, this affects so many people, you know, and it's kind of an ongoing thing. Like you're saying, like, I think people were dealing with it by being apart. But 
social media has really given us this connection to kind of at least support each other from far away. Um, I know I've been using it, you know, like Zoom, like you said, constantly to keep connected with people because it can get kind of lonely, you know? It's funny because we have phones, you know, <laughs> when you think about it, it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all have, we all text, we all have the ability to call anybody on this planet at any time. And yet when this quarantine happened, nobody's like, oh, I'm really glad I'm, you know, I'm really texting people a lot or I'm really using my phone to call. For the most part, anybody who says I need human contact there's, they're using Zoom or, uh, you know, video conferencing. Um, and I think that's fascinating, you know, that, and it points to, <laughs> this is such a wonderful conversation and I'm talking a lot more than I ever do on podcasts because you're, you're so fascinating. No, I like it. This is good. <laughs> but, you know, you think about um, how isolated, like maybe we're less isolated now than we usually are because usually I don't pick up a phone and call people. I text exactly. message because I want to reduce the amount of time that I have to talk to other human beings, you know, mm -hmm. like, and that's how I think everybody oh, else yeah. is. But now, um, I think neighbors are at least waving to each other from their porches as they're sitting out at night. Um, you know, we're, <laughs> I'm reconnecting with friends. There's, there's one friend I haven't seen in 20 years and I've been thinking, man, I really would love to talk to her. Um, and, yeah. um, you know, all of these people are talking about, you know, I've been talking to my mom and my grandma and my, you know, and it's really, <laughs> it's a pretty awesome silver lining um, to all this. Yeah. And definitely. I don't know if it'll continue if we're sitting here in August. <laughs> oh, I don't even like you like said that. You said that <laughs> when you said the models and, you know, it could be late April, it could be August. Like my uh -huh. stomach just fell. <laughs> August? I know, I know. I hate to, I hate to throw those numbers out too, because it does like it's hard to look that far ahead. You know, I, I've honestly, you know, in a way, I've been trying to take it day by day a little bit because it's hard to imagine, you know, it being August and still trying to keep your distance from people. You know, stay at home. So, yeah, I've been trying not to think that far. But you know, going back to kind of. The social, the silver lining of things is I have a lot of friends who are kind of in that vulnerable population, you know, who are either have underlying health conditions or they might be over 65. And I've been calling them and reaching out to them, just offering to help out, you know, get groceries, just calling to talk. So I think, you know, it is a good time to reach out to your friends and your neighbors and connect and lend a hand if you can. Yeah. Um, you know, and I haven't, I, I've been out of, I, I took my family to Missouri for spring break and then I've been at working at home for the past two weeks. And so I have conversations with people, but you know, my grandmother who was lived a wonderful life, she passed away um, over spring break and she lives in Dallas and she died and it was like, we couldn't have a funeral. You know, we can't, have, we can't have a funeral until this is over. And it's really interesting to think about people who are losing loved ones and they can't have a funeral and how much we rely on those customs and traditions to deal with that grief. And that, you know, it's weird to think that my grandma is who I love is gone, but it doesn't feel real, I guess, without all the 
So there's just I, I as a reporter, Cassie, like you are going to have you're going to be telling COVID stories for ever. I mean, every year there are going to be anniversary. I mean, just like with 9-11, I mean, and just the ripple effects uh, in every single aspect of life. Right. There's so many consequences. Yeah. Um, OK, so Cassie, let's say five years from now, you look back on COVID what questions will you want answered? Um, yeah. And I'll try to answer this without getting too bleak, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, a part, you know, like how many people lost businesses who, you know, whether people were able to kind of get those back up or not, um, or, you know, even if it, it's changed how we approach illness as a society, I mean, are we still, you know, is it, is COVID-19 going to be a, seasonal thing or you know are we going to see more people wearing face masks just on a day-to-day basis um because you know i keep hearing epidemiologists say that there's going to be a new normal and i don't think in, in a way this right now is the new normal uh but it's it's hard to say because we are so in the middle of it and i don't want to speculate and i don't want to get too grim um, on the mental health <laughs> podcast. Oh, we do grim. But, we do grim on the mental health download. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, I think a lot of it is going to be. You know, there's going to be a lot of questions su- surrounding like who the virus affected the most. Whether you know there are certain vulnerable populations who might have seen it worse than others. Um, and you know, just looking back at the state response and the national response, and seeing how you know if we did things as well as we could have and what we could have done better. It's just a few things I can think yeah. of off the top yeah. of my head. You know, I have seen some, some stories here and there. Um, I am, uh, I have a friend, he's a, um, he's a nationally known, probably globally known, um, expert. His name is Jeff Olivet and I'm going to be talking to him next week. And he, he is known for, um, talking about the history of homelessness and what caused it. And then he also is, uh, known for talking about how racism played a played a big role in, in homelessness and racism plays a big role in so many things, but also how racism is going to affect the treatment of, uh, for COVID, you know, and, and people who have little income or no income, how, what their treatment's going to be like. And yeah, I mean, there's, and people with mental illness, like there's so many barriers to treatment for mental health and will they be willing to reach out, you know, people who do isolate because of their serious mental illness, will they reach out for help for their, for COVID and what, how that will affect the mental health community. Um, yeah, there's just so many, so many questions. And um, I really feel for Mayor Bynum and Mayor Holt in Oklahoma City and uh, Governor Stitt. And then all of the, you know, the Mike Broses of the world, all these nonprofit who are really trying to think, okay, well, what is going to be our next need? What's going to be our need in a month and in six months? Um, because they have no other choice. You know, so I guess my next question will be, how is COVID going to affect journalism? I won't get in, spend too much time on this, but, you know, we know that across the country, COVID-19 has really been hurting newspapers. Um, 
you know, we've seen furloughs across the country just because a lot of it is, you know, as the economy goes down, less people are willing to advertise. Um, but I think, you know, as far as coverage goes, the Frontier is a nonprofit. So we rely on donations and foundations. Um, but I think from a coverage perspective, I think reporters are going to be writing about this for a long time. I don't remember the last time I saw a story that wasn't COVID related because it, it just, it touches, like you were saying, we were saying earlier, it just touches so many different aspects of our lives. It touches every aspect of our lives. It's, you know, it's an education story. It's a criminal justice story. It's, you know, it's a mental health story. So, you know, I think for at least the next, and I could be off, but I want to say at least the next four to six months at the least, our coverage is going to completely be writing about COVID-19. Um, and, you know, as I guess the virus progresses and time goes on, you know, the stories might start to look a little bit different uh, as far as, you know, how we approach it. Because right now we're just, a, it's a little bit reactive, you know, like we're just trying to keep up with all the news that's happening, but it's going to start looking, you know, back a little bit and the consequences of it. So I think I think reporting is just going to be a lot of COVID-19 for a while. Um, so as a former reporter, a lot of, I know that it's face to face, like everything, you know, you can call people and there's a lot of calling and blah, 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 blah on the phone and emails, but you don't get the good stuff, the really good details. You don't really understand a person until you are sitting in their living room face to face. And you can't do that right now. You've got your hand tied behind your back. And so talk about those little ways that, this is affecting at least the way that you're telling stories and how you're having to modify your traditional reporting to fit into this new environment. Right. That's a great question. Um, so, you know, it is different because I am so much better at connecting with people in person than I am over the phone, especially, you know, if I haven't talked to them before, it's just, it's so much easier to, you know, really connect to someone and seem sincere when you have them in person. But um, so I will like a part of it is uh, state officials have started, you know, doing their virtual press conferences. So that's one thing that's been interesting is you kind of have to get in a queue to ask questions. So it's sometimes it can be a little bit harder to get the questions than you want. Let's talk about your mental health, Cassie. What are you doing? Self care? What's what's keeping you? Oh, that's you a know, great yeah. question. So a few weeks ago, I'm going to say more than that. It's probably more than a month now. My husband and I got a puppy. And this was before we really realized that, you know, we, uh, we were going to, you know, be kind of quarantined at home. But it actually turned out to be kind of a good thing because there's nothing like a puppy to kind of brighten up your day. So that's helped a lot. Um, and then... Normally, something I really like to do for my mental health is right across from my office in downtown, which, you know, I obviously haven't been in, in a while. I had a yoga studio I'd go to every day after work. But, you know, that's been closed. But they have been doing online classes lately. So I've been trying to take, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of my day and kind of try to take a time to, you know, at least an hour to kind of not be thinking about COVID-19. And then I've been cooking a lot. So I've just been trying to fill my time with, you know, um, productive things that aren't 
related to this pandemic. Um, what about you, Matt? What have well, you been doing? Well, um, I am. Um, I have issues with food. I love it very much. It does not love me, and and it's really hard right now because I've been like Mental Health Association is phenomenal. We have a Monday yoga um, a Monday yoga class at our place of business. We've actually um, this week started uh, doing that virtually, which is awesome. And then um, we were also I had signed up for a Weight Watchers class, uh, like a 17 week Weight Watchers class. And they would come to our building and there were, you know, 20 of us and it was this big support group. And, um, you know, and and then this all happens and I'm at home and, you know, we we went, my wife is, uh, very good about going to Sam's and, you know, I have three daughters, uh, 13, 11 and nine, and they've got to eat and when they want comfort food. <laughs> and so it's like, it is really not a good time to be, uh, I consider myself a legitimate food addict and I don't say that lightly. Um, so it's been really hard, uh, on my, on my mental, this has been really a challenge for my mental health. I take, uh, Prozac is, amazing. I have, uh, talked about how it is really turning the lights on in my life. Um, I've, but this, this is, and, and that meditation has been very important to me and I a huge meditation advocate. And I've said many times in the past uh, week or two that we've been doing these daily podcasts that I've, I've really struggled with being able to just meditate. My brain, you know, is just going a million miles an hour. And, um, I actually just finished editing a podcast that, um, with a, with a friend, uh, we did a, a, a podcast. It's called songs for our mental health. You should listen to it, you know, and I've, there was a time where I was pretty elitist with my musical uh, tastes and things like that. And I wouldn't admit to liking certain things, but you know, I, uh, and this, the, the podcast was spurred by this is I, I've, I haven't listened to it since college, but Sarah McLaughlin's uh, 1993 record filming towards ecstasy is been like a soothing bomb on my uh, it has been my meditation. I just turn it on and I listen to it when I'm work. I mean, it really, when I look back on COVID, it's going to be, I worked from home and I listened to Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> like that's okay. No, no, it, this is good because I've been looking for an album. So I'm going to have to I, I think, pull that up and see how yeah, I feel about it's, it. It's just, um, it's just one of those records that there are times in my life that are connected to that. Obviously, um, it was comforting to me in college. And so I think that there's lingering aspects of that, but but so I got distracted talking about me. I wanted to know what are you baking? What are you making food wise? Oh, that's a great question. So I've been trying to get into bread. Interesting. I've never really been a bread maker, but I feel like this pandemic, like everyone's making bread right now. <laughs> and I get it because it's very soothing, you know, and it's something that requires some extra time. We all, I feel like most of us have extra time right now because we can't really go out. Um, some of us are working from home. So I am um, actually this weekend going to try to start on my own sourdough starter. Um, and that's something I haven't tried before. So I'm trying to, you know, stay productive and try new things. So Ooh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, I think I think so, too. And I love bread. And, you know, kind of like you were saying earlier, it's really hard not to eat right now. <laughs> so I'm trying to be careful with that, too. But, you know. A lot of what I'm doing right now, I think, surrounds food. I know. But um, so as we do at the end of every podcast, we ask the guests to uh, share a bit of wisdom and then close us out by saying, go do good things. So Cassie, take it away. 
Sure. Um, so I guess, you know, other than I'm going to shameless quick yes, plug please. here. Um, you know, read the frontier. You know, we've had, we have, I think, at least multiple stories about COVID-19 every day. You can read us at readfrontier.org. We don't have any paywall. You know, we're nonprofit. And I guess, you know, aside from that, uh, just especially during this time, be kind to your neighbors, be kind to yourself. You know, do your part to slow the spread of this virus. Stay home if you can and go do good things. If you're looking for a way to be a helper during this time, Truly, one of the best ways to get involved at Mental Health Association Oklahoma is to make a donation. Anything will help us continue to serve our participants during this difficult time. So visit Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Facebook page and donate on the COVID-19 Relief Fund or go to mhaok.org and hit the donate button at the top of the page.